0: to Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3. A few weeks ago, I, I, I don't use hyperbole. I don't exaggerate for the sake of it because it doesn't help in, in terms of this ministry. So but trust me, guys, when I say that the last five messages have been, in my opinion, the most serious, the most far-reaching um, that I've preached since I've been here. And that's about 500 times since I've been in this church, simply because of the the context in which you find yourself in, in 2013, I didn't expect that, you know, I didn't expect to, to see and to understand what's happening in the earth in the way that I currently do. I didn't kind of see it coming. So I've been caught off guard. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3 says, don't let anyone deceive you. Here it is again. Over the last few weeks we've been seeing how Jesus says deception is going to be prevalent in the last days. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day, that is the return of Jesus Christ, the rapture of the church. That day will not come until there's a falling away of Christians from churches, from the faith and from good practice. And we've been focused on that scripture and all the different connections to it within the Bible, and then connecting that to the up-and-coming events that are happening in 2014 and 2015, being the blood moons. And if you've missed any of those parts, the podcasts are online, and you can catch up no problem. About six months ago, I had a vision in the middle of the night of a chap called Steve Chalk, who many of you will know. I got up I'm accustomed to visions, and I knew that this was God. I just didn't understand what it was about. So I know this guy. He's a very famous evangelist. And I get up, I go downstairs, and I pray, and I don't know what to pray for. So I just go back to bed, and I think, well, Lord, whatever it is with Steve Chalk, God bless him. And then the same day, I get a text message from Assemblies of God headquarters here in the UK. But that went out to all UK ministers saying, brothers, it's with great regret that we inform you that Steve Chalk has just endorsed same-sex marriage. So that just shocked me because... It it shocked me because of this. What would you tell me for? Why would you tell me? Is this an issue that I need to know about, is it? That's an apostate act, what he's just done, okay? He's departed from sound doctrine. He's departed from the truth of the Word of God, no question. No question. And uh, as I began to share that in the different congregations, I said this in each congregation. I said, it's Steve Chalk this week who's departing. It could be me next week. And several people came up and said, you shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have said that. I said, no. You, you see, so what, why do you say that to me? Do you think that I can't fall? Is that it? What are you, nutcase or what? You can all fall. You can all fall. Every single one of you can fall. Everyone can can depart from the faith. Why do you think Jesus is talking to the followers? He's talking to His closest friends, talking to His closest disciples, pulling them near, and He says, be careful, no one deceives you. That's me. And the day that you stop taking Scripture personally is the day that you run into danger. So I intend to be very careful of my doctrine, of my practice, of of biblical established truths more than I have ever been. Because I realize that God has kind of nudged me personally and said, watch this, just like he did to those guys. I I feel that is a personal warning to me. You see, and take my advice, I, I plead with you. Take my advice and be very careful today and in the coming years, because this deception is a subtle, subtle thing. A subtle thing. All over the world, the apostate church, the, 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 the harlot church, it may not look like that now. It might look all, kind of alright now. But there's a harlot church, the Bible describes it, an apostate church that's getting fatter and fatter and fatter, And it's going to grow into what we know to be the multi-faith movement. And you've got to be very careful of that. Uh, People love to go, as Scripture says, in the last days, they will go where they will hear what their itching ears long to hear. They don't want to hear the scriptural truths about repentance. They don't want to know about that. I'll go somewhere where I will, will not be challenged to repent. Listen, if you can go to a church as a lost person for five weeks, five months one year and you have never felt challenged to repent of your sin, there's something wrong with that church. If you can sit there week after week enjoying the religiosity because we're human beings, and we do, I do, it's a natural thing for people. If you can sit in a building where there is a structure, where there is all the so-called order and you still have never repented, then you've got yourself In the wrong place. Because we need to hear the gospel wherever we go. And many of the the other congregations, particularly guys from Africa, have been asking me questions through the last week about signs and wonders. You know, in in some of those churches in Africa in these days, we are seeing such demonic miracles, not God's miracles, but the devil showing off his power and deceiving few. No. No. Jesus said five times, isn't it, in one chapter? Just so that you get the point, okay? I didn't say it five times, he did. Deceiving many. Look at Matthew 24, 24. This is another warning about the the signs and the miraculous wonders that the devil will perform on the earth in the last days and how we are to watch for this. Matthew 24, 24. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See? I've told you ahead of time so that you won't fall into the same trap. So over the last few weeks, I'll just run just momentarily through this. We've seen, and I've seen more clearly than ever, how Jesus warns me, top of my list, needs to be an awareness in me of deception. Biblical deception is going to try and get me. So I need to structure my life so that that doesn't happen. We've seen how human beings, Christians, all sorts of human beings, they like ritual over relationship. Really, that's why you get your rock concerts and everything else because we want to be part of something. And the apostate church will become, and already is, excellent at making you feel part. But you've got to be careful of that ritual thing. The apostate church wants to feel good, but not be good. That's why the repentance bit is missing. But the feel-good factor is very much there. We know apostate behavior not so much by sin, remember, because that's a real sneaky one there. It's not the sin that people fall into. That's not apostate behavior. That's everyday behavior. Apostate behavior is falling away from scriptural truths, sound doctrine. That's what it is. very specific thing in the Bible. These churches and individuals can have the appearance of success, absolutely. But that's not what we're looking for. We're not looking for the appearance of anything, right? Be careful. They reject repentance, judgment, and holiness, and largely based upon human reasoning, rather than, you know, God's presence and being led by the Holy Ghost. Today, I want to shift, focus just a, a, a tiny little bit And look, this week on Monday, we just got up and began praying for God. Continue to open our eyes in terms of being safeguarded and safeguarding the churches in these last days. And God very quickly spoke to me on, on Monday morning, actually, about the life of Jesus Christ. And I'd never seen this before. How When he fasted for the 39 days, remember, he went into the wilderness and he fasted for those... 39 days, and he, he, he was dealing with something. His flesh. He was dealing with his flesh and his soul. And then on the 40th day, the last day of the fast, it wasn't the flesh anymore, was it? Who came to see him? Satan. Satan. And I suddenly just saw, oh, I see. He had prepared himself. He had dealt with him. You are body, soul, and spirit. And Jesus had mastered himself, if you like, subdued the flesh, controlled his emotions and his soul, and all of that was in preparation for a confrontation. Let's call it an evil day. The 40th day. The last day. He was in preparation all that time so that he would be able and ready on the evil day that the devil was going to come. And I'd never quite perceived that that way. And I mean, I think back on my life. I I shared with you not long ago, I, I had an experience some years ago and I hope I never have it again. It was probably about 20 years ago now. I was in Singapore and I was going out for lunch with two of my friends and we left the house and we were standing on the road and we were going to like McDonald's, which you could see it in the distance and I said to my friends, let's just walk down here. My Russell Hurst, who some of you probably know. He said, no, let's get the bus. That drove me. I thought, what do you mean, get the bus? Look, there it is there. Let's just walk. He said, no, let's get the bus. OK, let's get the bus. Well, I tell you, I got angry. But I didn't just get angry. I changed. I tell you, I have never felt such a demonic presence. I became like a monster. I just changed. I changed, and my temper, and it was vile. I hated it. The minute my mood changed, and I'm not like that. Something came over me. Something overwhelmed me. This was an evil day. This was an evil attack. But I wasn't ready. And I stood there, and I tried to get control of myself again. Tried to get my sanity back. I had never experienced this before. I wasn't ready for it. So I got on that bus and I was out of control. So the two guys left me alone, and then we got off the bus in Badok. <laughs> and what, Russell's a great guy. Came over and like slapped me on the back and kind of said, "Like, snap out of it." And I kind of shocked me back into normality. And that I believe that was a spirit that I was under attack, and I was not ready for that. Now some Christians live like that. Some Christians have filthy moods, foul depressions, and they think they need to live under that type of attack. Well, you don't. Amen? Amen. You don't need to have mood swings of that sort. That's an an evil thing. But, you know, I never, that's the only time that that kind of experience has happened to me, and I did not enjoy it, and I I, I hated it. I hated it with a passion. I don't want anything to do with this. This is rotten. Get off me, you know? So, but my my point is, I was not ready for that kind of attack. And I see in Jesus that he was. He knew what was coming up. His life was one of preparation, wise, wise, wise preparation, knowing that there was a plan, knowing the strategy and getting ready for that. And this is exactly what we must do. So we were praying on Monday morning. And I just really felt God say, your answer is in Ephesians. Look at it. Ephesians chapter 6. I'll read it from verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally. So, all over huh? Finally. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That means mind games. It means your thinking. He's going to try and twist your thoughts. In the Greek, the literal is mind games. Verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That's right. Demons are not flesh and blood. They're disembodied spirits. But also, in this context, Paul's fight, and the reason he's putting the armor on, listen to me, is not to deal with his flesh. He's not putting that armor on to deal with his flesh. He's saying, I'm going to have to put this armor on because there's an outside force. There's an outside attack coming up. So finally, verse 12. For our struggle is not against your flesh, or or demons, because they don't have flesh, flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark age, this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore... Put on the full armor of God, so that when what? What does it say? When the day of evil comes, you will be able, just like Jesus did, you will be able to stand your ground. So the armor, rather than being something that we get taught in the Sunday school, was actually something Paul was prophesying, predicting that we, particularly this generation, need to follow the pattern of Jesus, you are body, soul, and spirit, conquer your flesh, mortify that, that flesh, subdue your soul, and walk in the Spirit. And as you do that, put on, as we'll see in a moment, put on the armor of God, because Scripture says in the closing years Decades of time, in the book of Revelation, it says that God is going to open up spiritual dungeons. Places where demons and spirits, that were so wicked, so foul, so bad, that God would not permit them onto the earth. Okay, they've been bound for all these years. But judgment, because of the behavior of people judgment will begin to be poured out that way gloomy dungeons Peter puts it will be opened up and forces spiritual forces will start coming into the world please Everson come just stand here a second let's say Everson has a problem let's say he can't stop eating chocolate okay so just you eat chocolate okay now he thinks okay no problem and he prays now pray now pray, just pray. There he goes. He pray, "Oh Lord, I shouldn't need so much chocolate." In Jesus' name, Amen. Now look, free, Hallelujah. So simple. So simple. See their flesh. Flesh is a piece of cake. Excuse the pun. Flesh is a piece of cake. <laughs> but, do you know what? The devil. A day comes, when you have given up chocolate. But a day comes, when that spirit. Just overpowers you. Shocking. Powerful. You see? It's not flesh anymore. That was actually the easy bit. And there's a force. Thank you, brother. There is a force that the scripture warns about in these last days, not just in the life of Jesus, which is always a pattern for you. Not just in the life of Jesus, but also in Paul's Prediction, prophecy of how we were to prepare ourselves for a day not just of mortifying your flesh. But scripture says that a day will come when the forces of evil which have been prophesied in Revelation will be released in the world. And you are supposed to be in daily preparation for that day in case you fall away. You got it? Do you understand, folks? No, it's no game. No game. Dealing with your flesh is one thing. But Scripture warns me, and I believe, as I say, even God has nudged me, that the battles, the fights, are just about to take on a different level. And I need to be very ready for that. I think a good example of this as a failure would be Elijah. I remember Elijah was so cocky because he was able to defeat the prophets of Baal. Remember that? What happened next? (laughs) He gets destroyed. He wants to kill himself. I may as well be dead. Because of one word from a woman. Jezebel. Because what he was dealing with, Elijah had within his ability, his power level, his faith level, the ability to deal with the prophets of Baal. But behind Jezebel was a bigger spirit. A stronger spirit. Probably an angelic, a fallen angel, an angelic spirit. And he was not ready for the evil day. And he got hit, floored. He was put out of the game, remember? He sat down and he said, I wish I was dead. How can you go from being full of the Holy Ghost, full of fire, to one minute and then the next minute you want to die? Answer, you weren't ready for the evil day. That's the answer. Someone came to me here once and they said, Pastor, what on earth is wrong with me? I I, I walk with God. I walk with God Monday. I walk with God Tuesday. And then like for for no apparent reason, I fall. What's wrong with me? I'm I'm, I'm sick. Am I? No, you're not sick. Remember footprints in the sand? You see those days where you're walking strong? Who's carrying you? Jesus. Jesus seeing you through, and every now and again He'll put you down and see how you do, straight over. So in the days that you're walking tall, friend, understand that's Christ, that's the power of God, but in the days that you're falling, that is God just letting you, a bit like stabilizers on a child's bike, just take the stabilizers off a minute and let them know actually how strong they are. And that's all that's happening. So you need to prepare yourself for the... Evil day. I want you to get the picture here. You need to start preparing, on your good days, I want you to start preparing yourself for that attack. Because you're not thinking straight, you're not thinking right. Years ago, I, I, I'm a very positive person, and chur- in churches you get bucketfuls of negativity all day, every day. It doesn't bother me. It's of no effect. It's water off a duck's back. I don't care about negative speech. In, in, in some ways, kind of immune to that after this length of time. And this one day I walked into the church and I was fine. The church was going great. And this one girl said one word to me, one line to me. Something depressing. I can't even remember what it was. But like a duck out of the sky, man, she shot me down. It was a negative statement. You're not this or you're not. It was a negative statement. But she got me. She got me. And I'd never in my life had I experienced that. was new for me. And I went to my senior pastor at that time because I was hurt, I was confused, I was punctured. And I go up, I knock his door. It was actually a meeting that very night. I said, Peter, man, something took place today. I don't know what's wrong with me. I was fine. And she said these words to me. And and look, I I just don't feel right, man. And he took me to Elijah in that very, you know, uh, situation we just spoke of. And he explained to me the difference in spiritual power levels. And I could see how accurate that was because that particular woman was definitely being used by a devil, you know, get behind me Satan sort of thing. She, she really was. She was famous for that. But I was not, that's not the problem. The problem is me, not her. I was not ready for the evil day. And I, I, I repeat, Scripture gives us incredible warnings. I'm born again. I'm a born again Christian. Many of you are also, not all, but many of you are also born again. And and you can get great comfort in that. And you can find it in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and all through the epistles and particularly in the book of Acts. You can see what that means and what it means to be born again. But one note, one point I would bring to your attention. Whilst the gospels and the epistles focus on being born again. Funny we don't get it in Revelation, isn't it? (laughs) The focus changes in the book of Revelation because now it's the evil day. And now that same group of people who are born again and they're on the earth and the evil's starting to come upon the earth, the focus changes seven times to a different word. Overcome. Seven times. The letters to the churches. You remember them? To he who overcomes. So now the battle's changed. Now the fight has changed. And to those who don't overcome, they will... So, most of us are born again. That's not the point. Don't sit back on your laurels. Rather, heed the prophetic, heed the Scriptures, and prepare yourself for what is predicted to be the most evil time that has ever been experienced on the face of the earth. Okay, the last days. That's what Scripture says. It says, a time so terrible that there has never been a time like it before or ever will be. So, to those who are born again, once this season starts... The focus is not on being born again then, to you who are born again. The focus is that you don't fall away, but that you become an overcomer. And just around that point home, in the book of Revelation, seven times, to the end times church, Jesus, who's dictated the book of Revelation to John, Jesus says to John, To he who overcomes, I will give the right to eat of the tree of life. And that tells me, folks, just that very because these words came out of the mouth of Jesus. The book of Revelation came straight from Jesus. Not like any other book in the Bible, you know. The Greek is completely different. It's written in one straight writing. This was it, six times Jesus says to John, keep writing, because he was obviously his long book. He's obviously tired. I think it's six, seven times. He says, keep writing, keep on writing. And then when the book is finished, he says, cursed is anyone who alters one word out of this book. Now, one word will they change. And blessed are those who keep it. My God. don't play games of Revelation or the Bible. So you understand, folks, I believe there's a time that's patterned for me in the life of Jesus Christ that I need to prepare myself for the evil day which I believe is now, and I need to do that by looking at not a children's church story with the armor of God, but actually the complete reverse, how typical is that of the devil, the complete reverse of that is that this is the highest form of armor and protection, and this can see me through to being an overcomer. If I respect it, and I must say, I have disrespected the armor a long time. My wife here is the most consistent person I have ever met in my entire life. Scripture says God never changes. Well, I tell you, you know, there's a little bit of God there. There really is. She never, ever changes in all the years through difficulties, no matter how I was, no matter what the circumstance I could startle her at four o'clock in the morning and she her first thing she will do when she wakes up is smile. A big smile. She is the most consistent individual that you could ever imagine. Now, I'm not like that. <laughs> I'm not like that. I, I, I would be changeable. I'm not as consistent in any way as she is. But she has noticed me being inconsistent over the years. And I tell you this, folks. A gazillion times, when I am inconsistent, she says the same thing. It annoys me because she said it so many times. Michael, put your armor on. Michael, you haven't got your armor on. Michael, put your armor on. I'm not a Sunday school child. Don't talk to me about the armor. (laughs) Right? Put your armor on. Put your armor on. This is coming from someone who understands where consistency comes from. This is it coming from someone who understands that, the effect of it, its meaning, its purpose completely. And thus they understand the negatives of it when it's missing. And she can see that. And so I want you and me, because I had this word this week, I want us to look again with humility at the armor of God in light of what we've said. Look at this. You are, whether you're aware of it or not, you're on a path, you're on a journey. And to be honest, it looks beautiful, doesn't it? Green rolling hills. You can't slip too far to the left or too far to the right. It looks like the path is easy. It looks like this is going to be a good journey. This is Genesis, if you like. Genesis chapter 1. Next slide, please. But as you go down, further down that path, the signs start to get a little bit bigger. And there begins to to be some emphasis brought out by the people who oversee the path. A good friend of mine ignored these signs. I buried him. His name is Alex. And he went to a, a waterfall, a famous waterfall outside Dublin. Waterfalls get very slippy at the top, you may know that. Very slippy. And there are signs everywhere. Do not go near this, do not go past this point. And Alex was, you know, foolhardy. Terrible, because he was such a lovely person. And he thought he would just go over and try and look over the waterfall. (laughs) Dead. Terrible. Ignore the sign. The sign's there for a reason. The path is there for a reason. Next, Next flight, please. Oh, now it's starting to get serious. Now I can't see those rolling hills anymore. Now it's a very narrow path. What's that? It's a rattlesnake. It's a rattlesnake which can kill you, by the way. And you've got to stay on the path because if you leave the path, there's great, great danger and the danger is immediate and the danger is clever and subtle. Okay? It's pride, folks, I warn you. Don't get proud about these things. Heed the warning. I must heed these warnings. So let's look then in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14. And if I could have my next slide, please. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14. Paul says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil day, the evil one, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests and with this in mind. And he goes on to say at the end there, after having done all that you must stand very very critical closing point so if I put on the belt of truth here's my image here I looked up many different ones I chose this one because actually his legs are very like mine so I thought this was a good choice here, he, here's your typical soldier could I have the next slide please and if you look at his belt just take this one item okay What does the belt do? Well, the word for truth, it's called the belt of truth, and the word in the Greek is logos, which means the written word, not the prophetic word. Okay, we'll come to that later. But it says the first item. Is it the second item? Is it the third item? The first thing, above all things, is get the word right. Get the written word, the logos. Have this in the highest of regard. And the reason I want to look, I want to look again at the belt, and I want to see how my understanding of the belt can protect me and others from falling away. Are you with me? How's that going to work? Well, number one, as we've said, in churches where Scripture is no longer the final rule for faith and doctrine, I'm going to stay away from them. Because the belt is the belt of truth. It is the written word of God. We cannot, cursed is anyone who removes anything from this book. And blessed are those who obey it. When churches begin to say that Scripture is no longer the final rule for faith and doctrine, I can know that that's not a place I want to be. So I must hold, and I do hold. I don't do that to please you. I don't do that to sound right or to sound good. I do it because I completely believe it with all of my heart. I believe the Bible is the God-breathed, inspired, that's what it means, the in-breathed Word of God to the guys who wrote it, that He's given it to us. He speaks to me through it. He validates it. And I've studied the, you know, I went to Cardiff University for two years and I studied church history and studied the formation of the canon. So I know it better than probably all of you put together. I wholeheartedly believe in Scripture. And you need, I'm warning you. I'm warning you, you stay away from any church or even individuals who compromise this first truth because that is the road to ruin. It's going to be the road to deception and death for many. Second, when churches begin to say that Israel is of little or no significance, it's called replacement theology, this is an error. This is a doctrinal, it's a theological error. Israel is still in the heart of God, still part of the plan of God. And if you fail to study Israel, as we've got on the wall here, how on earth are you going to be able to you know, complete the picture in the last days? Right? He comes back to the Israel. He's not coming back to Glasgow. Come back to Israel. So this is, this is really futile. And I, I, I tell you what, the last year has been a, a real funny year, but so much is making sense now. When I see how people here challenge me, you, you keep talking about Israel, and we're gonna leave because we're not Jews. And now I look back and you know these you know changes that have taken place, I think, God, I tell you what, did the devil want to get me off the path or what? Did the devil want to get me off the path? Jesus. Jesus, protect us. God protect us. I can fall. Jesus' most trusted follower was called Peter. (laughs) And one day, Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. That even Peter can fall for deception. You see? Israel is of significance and will remain of significance till Christ returns. And you need to understand that so that we can understand the signs that are coming up. We'll talk about them more in weeks to come. The, 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 the apostate church says we need to reinvent the gospel. Now, I've got some room for that because we need to be significant in our day. We need to uh, approach a modern world that has modern you know, intellectual standards, etc. No problem with that as long as you're preaching the gospel. As long as you're preaching the gospel. If you're calling people to repentance from sin, fine. Not just that though, because there's four steps in the gospel. Okay, if all you say to people is repent of their sin, then you have not taught them the whole gospel. You've taught them one part of the gospel. The Bible says repent of your sin, then put your faith in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ, the one you say is your Savior, Jesus Christ said to Nicodemus, no one will enter heaven unless he is baptized in water and has received my spirit. So preach the gospel. Preach the full gospel. And you can see that. I'll give you a book. I've written a book on it called Nobody Ever Told Me That. Nobody ever told me that. Nobody ever told me the full gospel. They all compromised it. Well, I will not obey men on this. Thank you very much. I will obey the same Jesus that Nicodemus spoke to. I will obey him because I will face him. And so will you, by the way. So you need to start getting your answer ready. And we need to be in churches that preach repentance and baptism in the Holy Spirit. And baptism in water. Right? Very neatly ties into this. It's not on that list. Believe but don't obey. The apostate church will believe many things but not obey. And what you believe doesn't save you, friends. Belief doesn't save you. It's just one leg on that stool. It's just one part. The devil believes in God Amen. and trembles. Ecumenism, that there's this great rush to multi-faith. There's this, and I, You know my, my heart. I work with many churches. My heart is open to work with as many as I can so that I can help as many as I can. But you know what? I can't work with everybody. And I've had several, I'm just out there, had a conversation with a very nice person recently. Oh, stupid, you know. Good guy, good heart. Many of you know him. But uh, he's just joined a church that's, he's going to get ordained into a church that's also ordaining gays. You know, homosexual pastors and all this stuff. I said, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you thinking about? Oh, I'm going to change from the inside. You're on a road. You're on a path. You've left the path, you've left the road, stupid, you've been deceived. Listen, ecumenism, where multi faith becomes the rule of the day, and of course, people love that, don't they? Because they look good and they sound good, they sound loving, and love people into hell is what they'll do. The book of Revelation. I need the belt of truth because it is the truth of the Word of God. I need to hold to the book of Revelation because it is not allegorical. It's not a story. It's not past, as some would have you believe. But the book of Revelation, as maybe we will do some of these Sunday nights, I've got a heap of material I've never brought to this church, actually, on the book of Revelation, going through it chapter by chapter, virtually verse by verse. And you will see, if you did that study, you would see how accurate it is. It's not past. It's future. It's not past. I know there's parts of it that refer back. No problem. But the bulk of the book is giving you a a, a description of time and history, but the bulk of it is about what's coming up. About Israel. About your future. So when churches start to reject the book of Revelation, you need to get out of those churches. Okay? Any one of these truths alone, you may be able to stand, and you may be able to survive for a while, but I wouldn't tolerate, personally, I won't tolerate any of them. Because it's like a crack in a dam. And I, I wouldn't tolerate any of these. I would just wouldn't hang around. I'd get out because I know that ship is eventually going down. This is, I printed this out this week about why airplanes crash. And it says here, The typical accident involves seven consecutive errors. And then that plane goes down. Not just one error. But one error is made. Scripture is no longer the final rule for faith and doctrine, and then come all the subsequent errors. Do you understand? And the typical plane hits the ground because of a series of mistakes normally actually starting with the first one. The rejection of Scripture as the final rule for faith and doctrine. Instead, we go with the crowds or we go with the mass opinion. God is not a Democrat. He doesn't need your vote. You'll, You'll face the God who gave us this Scripture. And my advice to you is to, to line up with his principles and his rules today, right now. And don't play games with your own salvation or anybody else's. You are no exception in humanity and neither am I. God is no respecter of persons. The second item, that's the belt, which is the written, the Logos word of God. The second item is the breastplate of righteousness. What a fantastic item, that is, if you open your Bibles in Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 19, Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, actually, verse 17, Luke's Gospel, 14, 17, last week, last Sunday afternoon, we had a, 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 an experience in here that took me by surprise. I did not expect it to happen, and just look up at me a moment. I'll come to that scripture. Just keep your eyes forward. Keep, keep my attention here. We're doing the same series in the different congregations. And the Pakistani congregation, they wouldn't mind me saying this, they've been probably slower than most. You know, it's been hard. Fred's been a fantastic pastor. Really, I, I admire him as a pastor. I think he's a real loving, patient, long, he's a pastor, pastor, pastor. I was not prepared for last Sunday. I was not prepared for what happened in here. I've preached to them for eight years now. And I know what kind of to expect, but I didn't get my expected answer. We were talking about the last days and about preparing ourselves for the final hours. And kind of, it's just like the Holy Ghost came into the room, you know, and everybody started to change and I could see them. I could see people crying from their gut, crying from their belly and and, and breaking down. People who have never shed a tear and never would. They're not that sort of person, you know. And I started to see, oh, hey, Fred, hang on a minute. The Holy Ghost is moving here. And all we were doing was kind of the second message in learning how to prepare yourself not to become an apostate, not to, to become part of the falling away. And at a certain point, I needed to stop. And I said to Fred, let's just forget the message a minute. And let's just get into, um, let's just talk to the congregation and see what's going on. And we got into a little bit of a dialogue and what happened surprised me. There were some really good comments made, but one of the girls said this, and she soaking wet with tears. And she said this: I had never thought of it. She said, "The apostate church will be made up of people who were not willing to lay down their own wishes and dreams." Ah, oh, that's, that's why she was crying. She had dreams, she had visions, and this timeline doesn't suit me." My auntie's coming from Australia in 2016. What am I going to do? This doesn't suit me. This is not my plan. And people, you see, when God doesn't fit their plan, they're through the door. Because it was never about God in the first place. I said it was never about God in the first place! You fool yourself with the, with the praise of men. Fool yourself with your own slap on the back. We'll soon find out, won't we? Soon find out who's who. I'm sorry to say, we will soon find out who's who. And that breastplate of righteousness, it wasn't just one girl, it was several people crying bitterly, and I didn't expect that. And, and I mean, praise the Lord, Pastor Fred's son is 12 years old, Eliab, and Eliab came up to Fred at the end of the meeting. Jesus, out of the mouths of babes, Eliab came up and said, Dad, this has been the best day that we have ever had in this church from a child because he saw that people were laying down their lives for the Son of God and not going to church, happy, happy. Even the children could see my mother, my father has become serious. They could sense the difference. My God, the breastplate of righteousness protects the desires of my heart when the desires of my heart are contrary to God. The Bible says this, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you... Yes, and what that means is this. Listen to me. It doesn't mean when you delight yourself in God that He will give you everything you want. That is not what it means in the Hebrew. What it says in the Hebrew is this. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will put His desires in your heart. His desires, if you make Him your delight, He will take your wishes away, your wants away, and He will put His wants in your heart. It wasn't about you. It was never about you. From the very beginning and the apostate church is made up of people who won't let that illusion go they won't let it go it's still about me and I will find others who will agree with me and all together we will leave the path do you understand folks don't play games the breastplate of righteousness all of us here have to give up something And I've got dreams. All of us here have dreams and visions. I've got dreams. Jeanette's got dreams. And I have to give them up. And don't you for one minute think that I don't understand that. Look at me and listen to me. Everybody look at me immediately. Look at me. Don't play games with me. Don't live in your ivory tower. I completely understand the grief of what you have to give up. Estella here, most of you know Estella. She had a dream. Her parents sacrificed for her dream. Her dream was to be a physio. That's it. One day, I want to be a physiotherapist. And so her parents had to sacrifice financially. She had to work long, hard to get the right grades and the right subjects. And then she had to go to the right college. And then she had to study her physio things. And then you have to do your practicals. And the dream is there and the dream is alive. But because of circumstances here, she decided not to pursue that. She could have done. She could have pursued it. But she made a decision for reasons we don't need to go into. She made a decision not to pursue it. Not to get her dream. Not to get the things she's looked forward to. And she called Jeanette and I, come down and see me. And we went down to her apartment, and Estella couldn't talk because she cried her heart out. She cried, and she cried, and she cried, and she cried, and she she said, I've come to understand that I may never be a physio now. And at one point she looked up at me, and I never forgot it. She looked up at me and she said, you must think that I'm really stupid And I never forgot that statement. What are you talking about? I think you're stupid. Estella, I completely get it. I have also had griefs in my life. I don't live in some ivory tower. I'm a human being. I understand. This is like a death. That's not overplaying it. It is like a death. It's the death of a dream. It's the death of my future the way I had imagined it. I've got, you've got to die to that. And that's so hard to do. So you know what, girl? Cry go on and cry we'll cry with you cry it out get it out of your system grief is from the Lord depression is from the devil grief is from the Lord and you need to grieve when you understand these things correctly you need to grieve for the pains and for the things that your dreams you need to lay your dreams down and let them go and you can cry 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 no problem grief is from the Lord but depression is from the devil. And the day comes when you have to say, okay, like David, when his child died, scripture says he prostrated himself, he fasted. And it says this, the day came when he realized it was over. It said, David got up and washed himself and got on with life. And It says, David realized that the child would never come to him, but I will be able to go to where he is. So, folks, what took me by surprise last week was that the Pakistani congregation, about half of the congregation was here. Oh, yes. Jesus. Fred has a lot of people now. 70, 80 people. We had about 30. Because you can imagine. Did you think the devil wants you to hear this? Jesus. Every single thing will come against you. Trust me. Everything will come against you. To stop you being informed of the day and the hour in which God has chosen for you to live on the planet. Which is 2013. He's not asking your approval. You're already here. So am I. So I accept it. I accept my station. I accept the, the times and places. Hebrews says that God has determined the time and the place in which I live. 2013, Glasgow. Right now you're here. So what am I going to do with this time? How do I use it to best benefit the kingdom? Chris and Eileen. 2013, Dundee, what are you going to do? Put God as top of your agenda and get ready for that move. And may God bless you and use you as he did here so effectively. May he bless you and use you there. Luke chapter 14, verse 17. This is the first coming of Jesus Christ when he came the first time. And it says that at the time of the banquet he sent forth and Jesus is telling the story. At the time of the banquet, he sent forth his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. They can't come. The first said, I've just bought a, a field. He's got a dream. He's got a vision. The first said, I've brought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. And I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. You're not top of my list, Jesus. I've got other things, other dreams, other plans. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. And the servant came back. You know the story. Tell me, has anything changed from the time that Jesus first came and today? Anything? Not a thing. Not a thing. People are still people, people are still deceived and leaving the path and not following him, refusing to... Re- Imagine having Jesus Christ in the village and you say, I'm going to go and do something else. Oh yeah, Hello? Hello? Jesus is there. Imagine having Jesus Christ returning in your generation and you say, there's something else I need to do. How, how crazy is this? How mad is this? Nuts! Deception is what Jesus and Paul continually call it. The deception of the age. The deception of the age. The next item. Sorry, the breastplate. I could spend the rest of the day on that one thing because it's such a huge issue for me. Protect the desires of your heart and let God be the dominant in your heart, the king of your heart. The shoes of the gospel of peace I won't spend time upon because we've looked at this About nine weeks ago, I think it's called Power to Change number eight. And I advise you to check out that message. It will help you to not touch the tools of darkness. There's tools of light and tools of darkness. Amen? Amen. You don't play with the darkness. Don't touch the tools of darkness. If you remember that message, get the podcast because you need it to understand these things here. The gospel of peace because God is a good God. God is good All all the time. That's right. Never bad. And so when it talks about the gospel of peace, it's talking about a good God sending you with a good news, a good message, and you purify yourself from wrong motives, wrong attitudes, wrong speech, negative speech. You purify all that stuff out of your system. I love that. We'll come back to it maybe, but the shoes of the gospel of peace. Next item, the shield of faith, which protects us. I need that shield because the devil is described as one who keeps on shooting fiery darts into my mind. Fiery darts into your brain, into your thinking. Pred- predominantly to try and separate you from the sources of strength, protection, and hope that exist in your life. Who are the two people that the devil wants to divide you from? And... Your husband or your wife, right? Your pastor or your husband or your wife. And I completely get this. I understand this. But it scares the life out of me when I see people who just play games with the accusations of the devil. You need faith to stand your ground because the devil will seek to pull you down. I'm a believer in the church. I believe God's given me the church. The church is my protection. It covers me. Let me tell you a story about this shield of faith. Without without this story and and what happened to me this day, I would not be here today. I would have been taken out by a nasty devil. We all need people. It's not just about God. We all need people. We all need disciples, your cell leaders, your pastors to cover you. Amen. Amen. That's the design of God. It's not just God. It's also people. So the devil wants to divide a husband from his wife a wife from his husband, the children from the parents, and Christians from the pastor. And I'm driving down a road with my longest Christian friend I've ever had, still probably my closest friend today, is Peter Finch. Many of you will have known him. He's an excellent person. Beautiful, spirited guy. And he was my senior pastor for about 8 to 10 years. And I prospered under Peter. I got married under Peter. Peter led my life and helped me and I, I, I submitted to him in all things. Because I knew where my protection was. And we had been to a conference and we're getting in our car at the end of the conference. And we drive off and at the side of the road, we're away from Dublin, going back to Dublin. And Peter sees this girl who's a member in our church. And he said, oh, look, you know, there's so-and-so. Let's pick her up and we'll give her a lift. I did not want to do that, I tell you. I don't like this girl. She's a bad piece of kit, this one. Oh, Peter, just let her go. He's so sweet. And so nice, he says, no, we'll, 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 we'll give her a lift. This woman is trouble. She's trouble. So she gets in the back of the car, you know. Hello, 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 hello. And we drive a little while. Sure enough, I was right. <laughs> and she leans in, into the driver's and Peter, can I ask you a question? Why did you tell me the confidential thing that Pastor Mike shared with you? Remember, you said he told you a secret, and then you told me about it. Remember, Peter? Why did you break the confidence then? Oh. And you know, talk about a snake. I jumped into action on that day. I was ready. I was ready for the day of evil. I jumped into action. I thought, you devil, if you think you're going to separate me from him, you got another thing coming. And I said, Peter, please, please let me answer this. Well, he's going, er, Oh, God, what am I going to do? Calm down, Peter. I understand your position. I understand your role and I understand your heart and your motives. So don't, I've got no problem. And I said, Please let me answer her. Just let me answer this girl. And he said, Oh, okay. If you're, I'm fine. Let me answer her. And I turned to her and I said, You know what, Liv? Whatever. He said to you, He had my best interest in his heart. He was thinking about me. He was protecting me. He had to do something to save me. So shut up. And she coiled up in that little back seat. And went out back into her little den. Some of you. It's like taking candy off a baby. You're not prepared for the day of evil. And Peter's still my friend today. And you need to be careful. I will not let someone say something about my wife or separate me from my wife. And I will not let them separate me from my leaders. I have had the same, I've got the same leaders today that I had 18 years ago. Now, do you think I haven't had attack? Do you think they haven't had attack? We live under attack. Every day the devil wants to say, Rick Seward is this, Shane Comiskey is this. And he says to them, Michael McKeever is this, Michael McKeever is that. We all need to stand for the evil day. And I need to have faith in God because he invented the church. It's a shield of faith. I put my shield up. I say, shut up, girl, because God invented the church. This guy is my protection and I do not accept that arrow. And I still stand. But you need faith in God. Faith in the church. I believe in the church. And some crazy things get said about you. You know, God, the the, the things that people have said, the accusations that people have said about me. We had a youth club in Ireland. And the youth club was in there one day and this one girl was missing. And I thought, where is Adrian? And so he said, oh, she's outside. She's upset with you. I said, what's going on? And I went outside. And I could see her. Our youth club was here and the, 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 the block of flats across the street where they all lived. I go over, she's sitting there and she's not looking at me. She's upset with me. I don't know why. So I say, "It rained. you're not to the youth club. She said, no. Well, what's wrong? And she said, I, I heard what you said about me. We heard what I said about you? What, what did I say about you? You said I was a fat cow. Oh. I said I was a fat cow. You, you think I said you were a fat cow? I said, Adrian, for heaven's sake, who told you that? I said, I would never say that. I said, you were a fat pig. No, I'm only joking, it's just a joke. That's just a joke. I said, Adrian, I didn't say anything. I didn't say any such thing. I would never say that about you. Who told you that? Who said that? And she started telling me, you know, they, they said I said, well, don't listen to them. What are you listening to them for? And you know, at a certain point, she just smiled. I just wanted to know it wasn't true. And she comes back. You've got to be careful because the devil is a spoiler. He's the stealer of your joy. Once you cry your eyes out and be depressed for the rest of your life because of what you don't have, and he'll blind you every day to what you do have. That you're saved blessed that Jesus Christ wants to walk with you and take your places and give you experiences in this life like yesterday which are just priceless, priceless. The presence of God yesterday was just, I was over the moon. It surpassed my wildest dreams, I have to say. Really good. So you put up your shield of faith. By that I mean I trust God's system. I trust its church. I believe in the church. You invented it, God. You could have done anything, but this is what you've done. And the church involves people. The next item is the helmet of salvation. And this is something that I, 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 I know I go on about it, but it's—I mean, could, could I go on about anything more important than your, the, the, the security of your salvation? I base my salvation upon these three things. Number one, my obedience, not what I believe, You're not saved because of what you believe. You're not saved because of what you believe. You're saved by what you obey. By repenting, baptism, and all that was said. Seeking the Spirit. I base my salvation upon obedience to Christ as I see salvation taught to me by Him in the Bible. The second thing I base my salvation on is baptism in the Holy Spirit because when the Holy Spirit comes in me, it gives me this word the Bible calls assurance. Only, only God can do that. Human beings can't do that. But I'm still not finished. The, then the church comes in with this other word, affirmation. This is something God that does through people. That It's one thing for you to say that you're saved. It's one thing to say it in Scripture. But I thank God for this. You're not alone. Right? So I can turn to Gordon and I can say, Gordon, my spirit witnesses that you are saved. And that's, an important thing. Don't disrespect it. Don't disrespect it. The church is there for a reason, and human beings give me that confirmation, and I should be seeking it because I think it's, isn't it, one John who talks about this in, in more detail. So I base my salvation upon these three things, and that's the helmet on my head that keeps me secure. Don't take it off, don't take any one of these three away. You don't compromise scripture. You need to be around churches and people who believe in baptism in the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? And you need to seek the confirmation, the affirmation of your brothers and sisters who are also born again. Because this is the greatest blessing is just having the church around to be able to to, to feel secure amongst your brothers and sisters. It's a great thing. Fellowship. Same boat. Fellowship. The last item, or second last item, the, the sword of the Spirit. Could I have my soldier up again, please? The sword of the Spirit, which is very different. It's, it, 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 it's not the Logos. What is the sword of the Spirit? Well, the sword of the Spirit is the prophetic. Remember the Logos? This is the belt. It's the written word. But the sword of the Spirit is, 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 is the written word, but it's the drawn word. Okay, it's the prophetic word. And this is incredibly important today, folks. Every year we get a new batch of students in in Strathclyde. I tell you, I don't think we have had one year where this, I, where this issue has not come up. And I don't think I've had one person in all that time even understand or listen to what I'm trying to say. You know, pride is, is a terrible thing. You see, you know, you know the belt of truth. You know what this is. Expository preaching, Right. Well, you go through the, the, the scriptures, you know, it's the Logos. It's the belt of truth. And that's fine. There's a time and place for this. And, and I know a lot of our churches, they, you know, that's what they do on Sunday. Listen very carefully in Jesus' name. There is a time and a place for systematic, exegetical, expository preaching. In your, in your cell groups, in your home Bible study, in a church Bible study. But that's not the only thing on the armor of God. What's this? It's, the, the, it's, it's not the word Logos that's used. It's the word Rima. And you see in church on Sunday, this is not so much the place for the belt of truth. You understand me? This is a place for the Rima. This is a place for me to stand here and enlighten you and me about the days and times in which we live. Hello. Amen. Can you hear me? One girl, about two years ago, one girl came to me And she said, I want you to do expository exegetical preaching. Please listen to me. But she would not listen. And she walked through the door. I was going, Excuse me. Excuse me. You're going to become an expert in biblical knowledge. But because of the lack of the prophetic, you're not going to know what day you live in. The moons are going to rise behind your back whilst you're filling your head with knowledge. But it's not just about knowledge which is the belt of truth, the Logos, you need to be in a church that has the rima, the prophetic word, and tells you the days in which you live. Do you understand? Yes. Now, you can go to places and they don't have the prophetic because they don't believe in baptism and the Holy Spirit and they don't believe in the prophetic. So all they can do is teach. And then you're blind to the day in which you live. But who will listen? Who will listen and who will understand? Tradition, you see. We love the rituals. We love the tradition. And yet we speak about things we do not understand. Because of pride. Speak about things that we know nothing about. And people continue to live in darkness. You make sure that you keep your belt firmly buckled. And that the word of God remains, you know, your top priority. But I counsel you. To stay close to the prophetic. When Jesus faced the evil day, he had the belt. What did he do? Three, it is written. He had the prophetic, prophetic, prophetic ready. He was trained in drawing the word. And that's what we need to do. In fact, that's a very good place to conclude today. That's what we need to do in the coming years ahead here. You need to get completely four square grounded on the Word of God, and then I hope that we can do more in the book of Ephesians, maybe even do an, a, a, a real study in there in how I can equip myself and prepare myself for the day in which God has placed me to live. I was ready for that girl in the back seat. I was ready. And I need to be ready for a lot more because Scripture makes it very clear. There are many things coming up. Most of you have been in my office at home And you'll recognize this. It sits over my desk. This is the picture I've got every time I sit down to work in my office. That's what I look at. The picture hanging right in front of my face. (laughs) And some people come into my office, they look at it, thinking, that's a bit strange, Pastor Mike. (laughs) Do you like an empty church, is it? Where's all the people gone? Ah, well, you see, a day is coming when the rapture is going to take place, you know. It says that the Lord is going to come in the clouds. And if the people are ready, not one left. Oh, Jesus. Now there's a dream. Isn't that a beautiful dream? Imagine if the Lord came back here and every single one of you were ready. That's just fantastic. And all over this world, Mervyn, your father's a pastor, right? Good church? What are they teaching at the moment? Armor of God. End times. Preparing yourself to live in the end. Nisha, your father's a pastor as well, isn't he? Different church, right? What are they teaching? End times. Prophetic, you see. Prophetic. MC, Machan sent me a... PowerPoint from her church that her mother gave her and said, we're just starting to learn about the blood moons. And you see, around the world, the children of God are being prepared, not religiously, not to titillate our intellect. It makes it feel good. Not, no, no. Not like that. But being prepared for a real war. And that involves the prophetic word of God. So that they are ready for the evil day and that we can present, I, this is my responsibility. That's why it's sitting in front of me every day in my office. I need to be able to present to Christ every one of you. And it will, I, I will do everything in my power to make sure that I can face Jesus and say, God, it wasn't because of me. It wasn't because of me. I did everything I tried to tell them. Some listened, some did not. But I hope one day, on the Rapture Day, it's the only day that I hope this building is empty. It's the only day. And I hope the day doesn't come when one of you turn up here. And there's nobody here. Pastor Mike? Sunday? Everson! Where's everybody? Where's everybody? Ah, oh, come on! Are you joking? Are you for real, Jesus? Did I did I miss the bus? One day it's all going to be for real, and that day is not very far away. Scripture says that Christ will return riding on the clouds. It says that every eye will see him and I want you to prepare yourself for that day and me to prepare myself for that day